Church, Charlotte. Tonight, Bible study will be on the promises of God, asking the question, are the promises in the Bible really for me? Are the promises in the Bible really for me? I want to start with this example or illustration that will help us in our study tonight. When you get an extra moment to think of it, life on earth is rather amazing, isn't it? Think about it this way. Our planet is just the right distance from the sun to allow for appropriate freezing and melting. And our planet's axis is tilted just so, just at the right angle, so that our seasons work exactly as planned every year without fail. There is a moon for the tides to circulate and cleanse our shores and oceans and the atmosphere to distribute heat. Otherwise, the sunny side would cook us completely and the dark side of the night would freeze us out. And on top of all of that, we have a magnetic field around the earth that contributes to our protection from harmful solar radiation. Now, the fact that all of these needs are met and many, many more on a regular basis, is it all a big coincidence? For the evolutionists to say, see, it's just happenstance. Do you think we just lucked out and got just what we needed or is something else at play? Another example, do you know that, that only earth has rainbows? And I ask, do we actually need them? What do they do? And yet, the astronomer Guillermo Gonzalez recently noted that we are the only planet in the solar system to get them. So, what exactly is needed for a rainbow to occur, I thought? Well, suspended water droplets in the atmosphere and the direct sunlight that results from the sun being between the horizon and 42 degrees altitude. Exactly. That's it. This typically occurs just after a thunderstorm has passed and small droplets of water are still in the atmosphere and the sky is clearing in front of the sun. Seemed like a simple setup, right? So this must be a fairly common phenomenon, I thought. Must happen elsewhere in the cosmos, right? But it isn't so simple. Our moon doesn't have an atmosphere. Mars doesn't have the atmosphere, does the doesn't have any moisture. Venus's atmosphere is too thick. And as we head further out into the solar system, the other planets there don't have any liquid water. So there's no rain. There are no th thunderstorms. So the only planet to have rainbows is the only one where people are on it to see said rainbows. To the evolutionists, that's just one more coincidence of nature. To God's people, however, it's just another example of his love and care and the keeping of one of his promises to us. It is as if someone's been trying to get our attention with a 
pretty shiny object written in very large typeface across the sky saying, hey, look here, this is important. But here's what the Bible says in Genesis 9, 13. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant. Watch that. The sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So this is one of the great amazing promises God has made to us. Earth has a rainbow because God promised it. Come on, somebody. And that is the subject of my study tonight. Are the promises of God sure? Are they true? Will they come to pass? Of course, the resounding answer is yes. Of course they will. Whatsoever God has promised, the Bible says that shall he also do. For the Christian, the most comforting thing in the world is knowing and believing that God is actively working on our behalf and in our lives. This type of comfort is usually the rest or the result rather of our past experiences with God, which gives us confidence, not in our own abilities, but in God, whose promises never fail. We are assured that he will actually do what he says. Therefore, we are confident that he will accomplish anything he has promised. But let me ask you this. Has the Lord ever whispered a promise in your ears? Maybe it was something that you really, really wanted. Perhaps it was something that you've been quietly desiring for many years. Perhaps you were at a conference or a youth meeting or Congress or a general conference and, and you were, you were slain in the spirit and the Lord whispered something sweet to you and called you to ministry. Maybe it's the healing of your body or a family member. Maybe it's for a better paying job or for promotion on your job or maybe it's for wisdom in your career. Wisdom in your relationships. Whatever the ask, you haven't seen the results yet. It hasn't materialized. And perhaps you are asking, God, why has this not happened? Am I asking in the wrong way? Is God mad with me? And by now your faith is perhaps struggling a little bit. You may even begin to doubt the promises of God in your life. And I want to hold you there and say, don't do that. The fact that you don't see it materialize when you want it doesn't mean that God's not working on it. Come on now. Whatever he promises, he will do. So let me ask some of you this question. Are you in this situation right now? Do you remember what the Lord promised you? What it was and how he said he would do it? And, well, I have very good news for you. Even though you do not remember, he does. And he says he always fulfills his promises to Israel. And so tonight I've compiled a partial list of fulfilled promises to share. Now, there are many, many more than what I'll be sharing, but this is a sampling just to convince you that the Lord Jesus is working on your behalf each and every day. I've got a few favorites, right? Before I get into my, my top 10. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said to his disciples, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And we need to really appreciate the truly amazing nature of this particular promise from Jesus. Here was a man who lived in the first century AD with only a small group of followers and his country was subject to the bondage of Rome. 
no modern means of mass communications or storage of a person's words. Yet Jesus made the statement of promise. And that was that his words would last forever. That's what everlasting means. They will never pass away. And although it seemed improbable at the time, it has occurred exactly as he has promised, as he predicted. You see, the words of Jesus are still with us today. They are read and believed by untold millions each and every day. So it has happened just as he said it would. Another cool promise of Jesus is that he said that he would be killed during the feast of Passover. And so we read in Matthew 26, verse 2, where Jesus said, quote, You know that after two days in the Passover feast, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Well, as you know, while his disciples did not want to hear this, it also happened just like he said it would. He was accused, betrayed, and delivered up to be crucified during the Passover feast. Two thieves crucified with Jesus were associates of one Barabbas, who would later uh, would have been put to death with their leader if he had not been released as part of a pardon from Pilate the governor, which points to our pardons that we do today by our governors and presidents. Perhaps this is where they got the practice from. And so during the Passover, Barabbas was pardoned and Jesus was crucified. Just as he said, here are some of God's promises that I want to share with you. And I like how the book of Joshua puts it so, so pointedly in chapter 21, verse 43 through 45. He writes, quote, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had promised. He had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it. And they settled there. Verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. Just as he had promised. Just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all of their enemies withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Verse 45. I love it. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. I know it's easy to respond. Well, those promises were to Israel, but what about us today? Do you know that we are spiritual Israel according to the Bible? The Apostle tells us in Romans 9 verse 6, Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scripture says, quote, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily all the children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's seed, according to Romans 9, verse 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul is saying that simply being born a Jew was not a guarantee of being a part of God's family. Being a child of God meant, watch this, to follow him completely. 
God's promises then were given to those who willfully committed their lives to obeying him. For believers today, God's promises are still applied to those who place their faith in Christ alone. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Quote, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. And the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Verse 4. And because of his glory and excellence, listen to this, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that will enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human lusts and desires. In view of all of this, he writes, make every effort to respond to God's promises. I like that. I like that. We have a responsibility to respond to God's promises. So not only are God's promises for us today, but scripture calls us to respond to them meaning we pray for them to be enacted in the situations in our lives each and every day. Therefore, you can trust that what God has promised, he most definitely will accomplish. He most definitely will accomplish what he said he will. So where do we begin? Where do we begin? What promises should you know and pray for that will produce the comfort and confidence that comes from trusting God. Here's a few notable ones, and I'll give you 10. I'll give you 10. Number one, God promises to strengthen you. Paul writes in Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your innermost being. So if you have received the spirit of the Lord, if we, if you are being led of the spirit, he has promised to strengthen you in your hour of need. Number two, God promises to give you rest, to give you rest. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come unto me all you are weary and carrying a heavy burden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, learn of me, because I'm humble and gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. So if you feel like you're carrying a very heavy burden at this time, rest assured, it may not necessarily be from God. Because God promises that his burden is light. You know what? Sometimes it's from us. Our burdens come from us. We heap upon ourselves burdens because we want to fit in with the crowd. We want to compete with the Joneses. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody here tonight. Right? We don't have to compare ourselves with one another. In fact, the scripture is very clear about that. The only one you compare yourself with is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. Number three, God promises to take care of all of your needs. Not some of them, all of your needs. And this, Paul writes in Philippians 4.19, the same God who takes care of me 
will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19 in the NLT version. Now, please don't confuse your needs with all of your wants and every desire. The promise of God is to supply and provide for your needs, not your wants. It's two different things. So, do you need courage and strength in your job, in your relationship? Do you need patience in your ministry? When you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says that God will meet all of your needs. This doesn't necessarily mean that he'll give you all of your every want and desire. Now, although God often give blessings out of his great love and abundance, and God can certainly bring your wants and desires in line with his will, because his will is always for you and never against you. But this verse is a promise that God will never forsake you, never forsake those who seek him. Let me say that again. He will never forsake those who seek him. One special meaning in this verse also has to do with God's desire to reward us for our faithful work in him. When we are generous in giving of our finances, our talents, our time in God's kingdom, God delights in being even more generous to us than we are to him. We cannot outgive God. So in the original context of this particular passage, Paul who was in prison at the time that he's writing this letter, was thanking the Philippians for abundantly and generously providing for his needs. They helped him when no one else did, and he was thankful. But he hastened to remind us that we should learn to be content in all situations. He was in jail, right? He says whether we have the bare minimum, the, the basic needs only, or whether we have plenty but we can rely on God who will never let us down. Number four, number four, God promises to answer your prayers, my prayers. In Matthew 7 and 7, he writes, quote, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. I like the, the way the NLT put it. You know, in the, in the King James, in the New King James, it says, ask and you shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. But I like this, this keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking uh, phraseology. Because what it does, it connotes that, that we have to pursue God. Because the Bible says, they that seek him will find him. Come on, somebody. Everyone that asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Amen. Amen. Matthew 7 is a part of what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it is a description of the truly righteous life and outlining of the law of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 9.21. So when Jesus says, ask, and it shall be given to you, what he means is you're continually asking in prayer. That's what that's what's in view. And you will continually ask in prayer. Prayer is how we communicate our needs and desires to God. Of course, God being omniscient knows what all of us need, whether we ask or not. But prayer 
mind you, is the means God has chosen to bring about those answers, according to James 4 and 2. Jesus is not saying that believers always get what they ask for. Because including wrong motives, sometimes we ask, the Bible says, amiss. For example, wrong motives will hinder your prayers or will hinder answers to your prayers. James 4 and 3 says, and even when you ask, you don't get because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So you ask amiss. However, the more time a Christian spends in communication with God, the more he or she will know what to ask for in accordance with God's will. Prayer is, in and of itself, a way we sanctify ourselves and an increasing uh, of holiness in the believer's life. But it does show, it does show our desire to depend on God for our every need. Number five, God promises to work everything out for our good. In Romans 8 again, verse 28, Paul writes, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. To understand the truth of this particular scripture, we can just quote the parts of the verse we like. But this is a promise for believers. I mean real believers. Those who are truly, truly living for Christ. Not those who claim to be living for him and, and live like the devil. This verse says to those who love God and are doing their best to obey his commands. Even though bad, sad, evil, and wicked things will touch your life, God says that he will use them to ultimately bring about a good in your life and in the next. Number six, God promises to be with you. I like how Joshua 1 and 5 says it. God says, I will not fail you or abandon you, Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you whithersoever you go or wherever you go. Joshua 1 and 5 and also verse 9. This is a very comforting promises, a promise to me. At least in the scripture to this point, it, it, it warms me that these words are said uh, to provide Joshua with the comfort that he will need as he begins the conquest, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you was first given to Israel before entering the promised land. Read Deuteronomy 31 and 6. And encouragingly, Moses reminds Joshua that as his succeeding leader, quote, the Lord himself will go before you, Joshua, and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Deuteronomy 31 and 8. Joshua's task of taking the promised land seemed like an impossible one. There are giants there. We look like grasshoppers. But with the Lord, the task was more possible for he would not forsake Joshua 
in his pursuit. Many other verses in the Old Testament include similar statements of God to individuals with this very same promise not to leave them nor forsaken. Well, what was found all throughout the Old Covenant. We find it in Genesis 28, 15. The Lord speaking to Jacob. We see Deuteronomy 31, 8, which we just read. We see it in uh, to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 and 20. We see it in the prophecy of Isaiah to the poor and needy in Isaiah 41 and 17. And on and on it goes. On and on it goes. God says, I will not leave you, neither will I forsake you. And then the author of Hebrews states the promise of God's eternal promise with the believer in, in 13.5 when he writes, quote, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Uh, instead of trusting riches of material goods, which we know will ultimately fail us, believers should place their hope in God who promises never to leave us nor forsake us. Number seven. God's promise to protect you. God promises to protect us. Now, this is a favorite of mine. I, I've committed Psalm 91 to memory from when I was in Sunday school many years ago. And it begins like this. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord that he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, just like a, a hen does. And under his wings, you shall take refuge. You shall trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid by the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near you. Amen. This is such a comforting, comforting verse of scripture. This passage, I, I encourage you to all memorize this passage. If you haven't done so, it has been a blessing to me and it has been a refuge. I've taken refuge in Psalm 91 many a times in my moments of terror, in my moments of fear. I would flip to this passage. I would, I would repeat it from memory that I shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrows that flyeth by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. God's got your back. God's got your back. And, and I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Feel, you feel like you're out there by yourself. But David declares emphatically that God is our refuge. He says it elsewhere in the Psalms. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, would I not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains are carried into the midst of the seas, though the mountains thereof roar, David says, God is with us. In times when it seems like darkness is closing in around us and that we're all alone, in those moments, it is easy to lose faith and also lose our courage. But even in the most difficult moments, we can find refuge and strength in God. And Psalm 91 is a great reminder of why God is our refuge and fortress. It gives me confidence that no matter what happens, we are safe in the Lord's hand. Number eight, number eight, 
God's promise, God promises rather, to free us from sin. And this is found in, in, in many passages, but in 1 John 1 and 9, the Lord says it this way. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Here's the second part. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In another verse, he says, if the Son sets you free, you're free. So now, confession of sins has always been seen as a godly practice among those who turn to God as believers. We find this in Leviticus, Leviticus 5 and 5, Leviticus 16 and uh, 21, Numbers 5 and 7, Ezra 10 and 1. And has been seen as a source of healing according to James 5 and 16. Those who confess sins are reassured that God will forgive and remove that sin's impact on our fellowship with him. Know that even though this message is written to believers, John states that those who confess sins are both forgiven and cleansed. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Though believers are forgiven at the point of confession, there's also a sense in which believers need to confess their sins and experience forgiveness and cleansing. Forgiveness and cleansing on an ongoing basis. This, this points back to the Mosaic law. It was an important portion of Mosaic worship. It was mentioned some 14 times in the book of Leviticus alone. It was the goal of those who brought a sacrifice to the tabernacle and later to the temple. It was their goal to be cleansed and their sins to be washed away or pushed back for a year. For example, when we have an argument with one another, it creates a barrier to fellowship. And since a barrier between us and God will always be our fault, <laughs> our need to confess is important in our relationship with God, especially if it is to flourish. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Number nine, God promises that nothing will separate us from him. Paul again writes, uh, in this amazing chapter of Romans 8, where he says, quote, I am persuaded that nothing, nothing, he says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I feel the power of God right now. I believe that God has given us these words to encourage us that nothing will be able to separate you from him. And so Paul writes it with the kind of zeal and an intensity because he wants his readers to, to feel, you know, he doesn't want his readers to feel any insecurity about God's love for them in Christ. He has built the case in the earlier verses, uh, verses 31 to 37. He built the case of why God is for us. And then he's created a list of the worst things that could possibly happen to us in life. And he makes the point that none of them can demonstrate a loss of Christ's love for us or from us. Though things may happen, because he wrote them in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 31 through 37. They cannot conquer us in any way that matters. Those who are saved by faith in Christ, 
hope of eternal life. They can continually endure in the power of his spirit. If you are led by the spirit, the Bible says, you belong to him. But if you're not, you don't belong to him. Finally, number 10, number 10. God promises you everlasting life. One of the more popular verses of scripture in the New Testament, John 3, 16, says it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All the promises that I've given tonight, they're not a complete list of the promises of God. No, there are over 3,000 other specific promises in scripture. And I encourage you to take hold of the promises listed, but as well, continue to search the word of God. I encourage you to meditate on them. Do like I have done. Memorize a bunch of them and pray them into existence. For all these promises that are tucked away are available to us as believers. And as you do that, you will watch how God will respond to your faith by fulfilling his promise in your life. My final verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, quote, For all the promises of God are in him, Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, which also means yes, to the glory of God through us. I pray that this, this study tonight has been a blessing to you. I hope that I've said something or the Lord has said something that has awakened something or quickened something to your heart and that you will be blessed by it. I want you to greet one another and go. May the Lord bless you tonight. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at First churchclt.com If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353 We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.